1 Samuel chapter 17. And last time we have seen that David, the young shepherd, he was able to defeat Goliath, the giant that many people were scared of, and he defeated him in a miraculous way, and he defeated him by the power of God. And we saw that after David defeated Goliath, that many people in the army became courageous and they ran after the Philistines and they plunged their goods and they took their stuff. And this, this reminds us of the concept of how every one of us has a role in the people around him. Like my presence in, my, in the car with my friends could impact what music they listen to. My presence at family gathering could impact what kind of lifestyle we have. My presence at my house could invite, can reflect or impact our fasting, our prayers, our Bible study. So David was so small, and the giant Goliath was so big, but God used a very young and small child to defeat a giant and to also encourage all the children around to overcome their fear and to move and to do the right thing. Now we're, we're uh, verse uh, 54, chapter 17, verse 4. And David took the head of the Philistines, which is Goliath, and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. So basically, obviously now David became a, uh, a general in the army after defeating Goliath. So now they give him a tent. They give him his own private place. So he went back and took the armor of Goliath and put it with him. And obviously that's beautiful because it becomes a memory for David remembering always the work of God in his life. That's why it's always important when God works miracles in our life, not only to recognize it, but to record it. That's what our Lord asked the people of Israel alone write down the book of remembrance in which they would record down all the works of God that he has done with them because we as humans sometimes easy to forget also just to keep in mind when it says and David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem this is at this time Jerusalem was not the city we know it was not yet the city of King David it was not set but it wasn't an area yet uh, not as well developed, but it was still called Jerusalem at that point. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, Abner is the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son this man is. So what's happening here? So David had many encounters with Saul before. He used to come to his house to sing, whenever the evil spirit would come. He also now talked to him and told him, I could go defeat Goliath. But it seems like David was such an insignificant figure in the life of Saul, that he didn't know who he was. Like, you know, even though he would come and play music, but what's the big deal? And especially at the time when David, when Saul had the evil spirit on him, he did not really recognize, he was not in a sound mind to recognize who cared. To his, to his tent. So when Abinar saw David moving toward Goliath and defeating him, so when Saul saw uh, David def defeating Goliath, he was very interested. He's like, who is this kid? And he went to ask the commander of the army, and the commander of the army did not know who David was. And that also to, shows, to show you that David was doing a lot for the king, and yet he was not known by the king. And sometimes, you might serve in the church and you might not be the most known person in the church. You might be sacrificing a lot for people around you, but you also work behind the scenes. And your name might be not known. There are many people who serve in an unseen way. So David the prophet, even though he was the one who would calm the king, he was the one who... Uh, was known by some of the other advisors of Saul who recommended David to come, yet the king himself does not remember him. The commander of the army does not remember him.
Also, when Saul is asking about David, he's asking specifically about his family. Like, whose son is this? Why? Because Saul most likely is trying to associate a great victory over Goliath with a noble background. He must have like a, a great family. He must be like a, a great soldier. He must be a strong man. And that's very uh, shallow because Saul himself was not from a great or a big tribe. And God chose him, but he forgot. And later on, he started to use the worldly standard. And sometimes, kid, in our life, as we grow old, we maybe we don't have like a, a strong social place in the environment we're in. Then after a while, if we get older, maybe God gives us or allows us to have a special kind of social place within our community. And then instead, instead of remembering that God is the one who brought us here and God can bring other people, we start using the new human standard and the things we used to dislike before, now we use them to apply it on other people. For example, you might have somebody when they were young, they were bullied, they were neglected, they were not taken care of, they did not feel like they can fit in. And then later on in their life, they become socially accepted. And the same people that became socially accepted, they start making fun of people and bullying them, and they themselves use the worldly standard instead of trying to see what God is doing. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abinar took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Obviously, to bring the head of Goliath, this is a reflection of the victory, and he brought it to the king. But I want you to see how David speaks to the king. This is the second time that David speaks to Saul. The first time, David spoke actually with great courage. The king would tell him, you're too young, you'll be like, no, I have experience with God, I can go fight Goliath. The king will tell him, wear the armors. He says, after all, he says, no, this is too heavy, I can't wear them. Now, when he's, when he's at his default, he's speaking with great humility. Humility does not mean fear. And does not mean that I ignore my responsibility. So here, when a time he came where he needs to speak soft, he spoke soft. When he needs to speak with courage, he spoke with courage. This is humility. So he started telling him, I am your poor servant. I am a son of a poor man in a poor city. David didn't try to glorify his family. He didn't tell him, oh, three, my three of my brothers are in the army and we're a family of warriors and we do this. He started, he, he brought in the point that anybody would be ashamed of the most. He said it right away. By the way, he did not say it with brokenness or embarrassment. He said it with joy and happiness. Even though his father was not very friendly with him and did not acknowledge David or treat him as the rest of his brothers. But yet, David, the prophet, was happy of his family, was happy, was happy with his father, and he, was, he presented himself in a correct way. Now we're going to start chapter 18. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was kent to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This is a beautiful verse. So what's happening? Remember Jonathan, we said Jonathan is a son of Saul. And he had a courageous encounters in the past. And because of his courage and pure heart, God performed victory. And they were able to defeat the Philistines when it was impossible. Now, last time I was telling you, we don't know where Jonathan was when, when Goliath was humiliating the Philistines. But maybe Jonathan was 
did not have enough courage to fight. But when he saw David, and we saw David's spirituality and courage and love, he found what he was looking for. He found a spiritual brother. I'll tell you guys something. I was actually talking with one of the monks recently, a younger monk. And he told me, we always speak about spiritual fatherhood and how we need a spiritual father in our life. But he told me, sometime we neglect, neglect the idea of a spiritual brotherhood. A father, he will go talk to him once a month, once every other month. But a brother, you're constantly in communication with him. That shows, by the way, the love of the heart of Jonathan. Because Jonathan had two options. Either to feel jealous of David, because David defeated the enemy, and David is now becoming known and popular, and David and Jonathan are the same age. Or Jonathan could say, wow, this child, this person here, he actually did what I always wanted to do. He actually loves God in the way I would love to love God. He found in him what he's looking for. He actually reminded Jonathan that it is possible to have such a deep relationship with God. So Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What does that mean? We're going to see this reflected in action. Later on, in the next few chapters, we will see that Jonathan will save the life of David and Jonathan would also recognize that David will be the next king. And even though Jonathan knows that he's not going to be the next king, David will be, he will still protect him and honor him and he will not get jealous of him. This verse means that Jonathan will be happy for the success of David. And he will be one of his great uh, spiritual advisor to go to. And this helps us to always understand there's a difference between somebody who understands the role in the whole church and somebody who wants to take the credit for everything. Human nature tends to want to take the credit. But Jonathan realized that he has a role to play. And that role is not to be a king. Even if all society will tell me I'm going to be a king, he knows it's not going to be the king. Look at verse 2. And Saul took him, took David that day, and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. You see, there's a difference between Jonathan's love to David and Saul's love to David. Saul's love to David is more of a possessions. He liked to own people. He thought David is good, let me keep him with me. Under my wing. But Jonathan loved him as himself. Like, if David is successful, Jonathan will be happy. But Solomon loved him for himself. Oh, I like David, keep him with me. I like this car, keep it with me. He does not love him for his own. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. What does that mean? A covenant is always almost like a, not a contract, but a, but a grant. You know, like when the government gives you a grant to go to school, this is it. And the main reason you get the grant is usually because you're financially not able or because you are from a minority group. That's why you get a grant. Not because anything specific you've done, but because you're unable or you are from a disadvantaged group. So a covenant usually comes from a powerful party that grants a smaller party something specific. So Jonathan is a son of a king. He does not need to make a covenant with David. Who's David? David is a, somebody who works for them. Why do I need to make a covenant with somebody who works with me? 
But he made a covenant with him because he found there is a spiritual bond between them that surpasses all the social status around. And that's important to understand is that even the people in power or leadership, they are looking for spiritual, obviously if they have good heart, they're looking for spiritual friendship. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even with his sword and his bow and his belt. So Jonathan gave David the same clothes he's wearing, the same weapons he's carrying. This is true love. What Jonathan is doing, what Jonathan is doing is illogical. Because David has nothing to offer Jonathan back. At this time, David had nothing to offer Jonathan back. Jonathan is popular, people love him, he's a child of a king, he has all privilege, but he decides to offer David. He decided eh, to offer David. Jonathan has also more reason to be threatened by David than Saul. Because if David would be a king, I mean, Jonathan and David are the same age. So if David would be the king, it means that Jonathan would not be a king. But he loved him as himself. He gave him what he owns. This is the sort of love that we have. When I say, for example, I love my spouse as myself, it doesn't mean I am simply providing for her. But she is my equal. She knows what I'm doing. She sees my action. She sees the bank's account. We share everything. It's not, I am, I am just only giving, but we are, both are sharing everything. Love as oneself is a different level. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul led him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. So they, when Saul sends him out, means Saul sends him to fight. The, the army of the Philistines are always at the door, and there's always war between both of them. And because David was a blessed child of God, everywhere he go, he would act wisely. A young child who's not trained on war now goes out and come from war, and people found him acting wisely. This requires an intervention from God. He received a special blessing from God to be a wonderful and excellent warrior having no experience as a warrior. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So this event here will be the turning point between the relationship between David and Saul. David goes to war. Obviously, sometime Saul would go to war with him. Now, when they're coming as warriors, the woman would go out and dance and celebrate their victory. This is common in the old days. Now, it says the woman were coming out to meet King Saul. So who's, who's the main key character? Saul. And they're going out to meet him and his warriors and his generals, because he's the king. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. The woman said, Saul has killed thousands and David has killed ten thousands. By the way, thousands and ten thousands are word pairs of a very large number. You'll see this in Deuteronomy 32, 30, 33, 17, Micah 6, 7, Psalms 91, 7. The ancient word pair means the women are praising Saul and David as they are slayers of great number of enemies. And there's also an idea of poetry, right? So the woman, whenever they come up with a song, it has to rhyme. So they use two big units 
to describe that Saul and David destroying the enemy. They did not intend to make David higher. They can't do this. But they're basically using large numbers to describe for Saul and David. Whatever David does, it belongs to Saul because he's, a, he's, the, he's, the, he's the king. And they are just using the typical celebration to celebrate. But the problem is, is that they have, in Saul's eyes, treated David almost equal to him because they put him in a song with him. And obviously, the poetry they've chosen, they attributed the larger of the numbers to David. Even though the situation is simple. But see what Saul did. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? There is here a, a big problem of Saul's own interpretation. Saul is a king. David works for him. The women that are singing, he can fire them. He controls everything. But he took a small situation, a small song, and he said, wow, is he going to take the kingdom from me? You see how a small sentence or a few words people can say can make me make a great interpretation and a great extrapolation, and it could put me in fear and depression and issue because of my own weaknesses. It has nothing to do with what people say. At the end of the day, the women are saying empty words. It means nothing. That becomes important for us. How much of what people say affects my daily thoughts and my daily work. Quite often, people can get so excited and joyful when they hear some words, they can get so down and angry and revengeful when you, they hear other words. Because we have become dependent on the people, rather on our principles, rather on our bond with God. So here we see Saul is translating things in the wrong way. For example, I see this a lot when there's... Uh, issues between husbands and wife. Sometimes the husband or the wife would imagine that their spouse is their enemy. And they will tell me, one of this, my spouse is trying to destroy my life. And they are trying to destroy this and destroy that. And because there's a problem of translation, they take words, they, tricks, they take situations, and instead of translating them, as my wife is broken, as my wife feels lonely, as my wife not feels loved, or as my wife is trying to care for her family, they take it as she's trying to destroy me. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. It means Saul became suspicious toward David from this early stage of the relationship. He is consumed with David, but not the real enemy, the Philistines. David will continue to be so pure. Yani as Saul continues to eye him and could not treat him well, I mean, he's a king, he should encourage, encourage David, he should, he should praise him, he should try to make, make him uh, 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 rewarded soldiers in his army. But what did Saul do? He chose to eye him. And I want you guys, as we go through the next few verses, to see David's reaction. Because David's reaction would, would show what is a humble and pure heart look like. Look at here what's happening in verse 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. Of course, so the, the evil spirit that came from God did not reside on Saul. It used to leave him. And when his heart is filled with, filled with hatred and anger the spirit will come again. This is where the devil finds a room. 
When my heart is full of jealousy, envy, and hatred, the devil will come. And he prophesies inside the house. So David played music with his hand at the other time, as at the other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. So when the spirit came back to Saul, it says he prophesied. By the way, prophesied here does not mean that he was saying prophecy, but it means he became crazy. That's what it means. David was actually, uh, Saul was acting crazy. So David, who was his soldier, and he worked for him in the army, he came to play music for him. You see, David did not say, oh, now I'm a general, now I just have a great victory. Why would I go work as a slave? He went and offered his service to the king as if he was one of the slaves who work in his palace. And since David is a prefigure of Christ, this is the work of Christ. He shows us that he can be a great miracle maker, a great teacher, but he can still go and wash the feet. The greatness of our life or the great accomplishment in our life should only push us to offer the real work of Christ, which is the work of humility. Now, Saul had that spear in his hand. That's almost a symbol of his kingship. So imagine, Keda, with me. David has the harp and playing music. And who has the spear in his hand? Saul. Contrast between evil and good. See what Saul does. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped, escaped his presence, what? Twice. So what's happening? David is playing music to, the, uh, to Saul. And Saul, because he has the evil spirit, now he wants to kill David. He takes the spear, throws it at David. They're in a very small room. And David, it's not even in his mind that Saul is trying to kill him. He could not even imagine it. So what does he do? He brings back the spear to, David, to Saul and starts things again. And Saul takes the spear, throws it at him. And God saves him. And sometimes people say, Abuna, we, when we follow the commandments, people take advantage of us. 100% I agree with you. But also, God protects you 10,000 times more. One of the things I want to tell you also about the situation from David, because I think this is a weakness that we have. Sometimes, we tailor our emotions to the world around us. So for example, if a situation happened with me and I'm not upset, somebody, for example, spoke bad about me and I'm not upset. Now, because the culture makes me feel I should be upset, I start getting upset. Well, God protected you. Who protected your feelings from getting upset. So I should be thankful. Thank you, God, for you protected me. Not going back and say, you know, I should be upset. I should be angry. Well, fine. Let the evil spirit reside inside of you. Let hatred and envy and jealousy reside inside of you. Now, see, even though Saul is the king and he has the power, look at the verse 12. And now Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he departed from Saul. Saul... Now tries in an he's going to try in an indirect way to reduce the power of David. But every time he does it, David succeeds even more. He gets more influence. And Saul he started realizing David, something special about him. God is with him. Now if you realize that God is with him, well, maybe you should repent. Maybe you should reflect on yourself. But because Saul was so far away from God, now he's almost challenging God and the child of God. Can you imagine the king of the people of God is challenging God and challenging the child of God? Attachment to the world can produce a lot of hatred. Attachment to the world can make us see the good but stand paralyzed. 
and makes us not move forward. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence. Saul does not want David around him and made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before the people. So Saul said, you know what, if I keep him in the palace, he's going to make a lot of friends. And maybe one day he will come and take over the kingdom. So let me keep him together with a thousand. A thousand, remember I told you, is a unit, a unit of army. Keep him aside. I don't want to see him. Just take him. You know, it's almost like when you want to, when somebody gets a great influence, the best way to do is give him a minor job. Nobody notices him, and after a while, people will forget him. He cannot obviously remove him completely because he's just defeated Goliath. So he has to give him a task, but kind of what a minor task that people might forget him. So David, Saul is using human wisdom to limit David. But what he did not realize is now David is going to have much more freedom. Before, he used to work for the king's court. So every day going in and coming out, Saul knows exactly what he's doing. Now when he's alone with his thousands, he goes fights whenever he wants. He goes, interacts with more people, with more freedom. And now it's said that he behaved wisely uh, in front of everybody. Look at verse 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. David walking with God under all circumstances. We did not hear David complain once. We did not see David say, oh, why is Saul treating me this way? Let me try to speak to Jonathan to try to get me in. None of this stuff. You want me a thousand? Fine. You want me here? Fine. You want me to sing for you? Fine. You want me to go back to be a shepherd? Fine. No problem. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Wow. You see, even though Saul has all the power, but he's afraid of him. What makes Saul afraid? Attachment to the world. If he's not attached to his chair and attached to the kingdom of heaven, he would love David like Jonathan. And this here teaches us that we should not let the external things fool us. Sometimes you look at people from far and think they are happy, but they're afraid. You think they have so much, but they have no peace. You think they, they, everything is accessible to them, but their family is broken. You look from far, far does mean nothing. David, a child from a very poor tribe, he made a, a great king scared by just doing the right things. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Obviously, David is from the tribe of Judah. So not only the tribe of Judah, not only his own family loved him. Remember earlier, his family kind of ignored him. Now his Israel and all his family, and I love how it mentioned Israel first, because it almost like seems his family kind of disregarded him. And after he proved himself among all Israel, his family started to feel like, wow, this, this, this child is actually beautiful. And it means at this time, by the way, if David wanted to declare himself a king, he could have probably started a civil war. Because he had enough people around him that support him and like him. And David knows that Samuel anointed him as a king. And he might say, well, this is my chance. God has put me here for sure that I could get everybody's acceptance and I could overturn Saul. That's not what he did. Even when God shows us our calling, the means of receiving the calling matters. If the calling is good, God does not allow us to use evil means. I want to be, for example, a medical doctor to help people. That does not mean I cheat. I want to be, for example, a beautiful husband or a beautiful wife. That does not mean I start using a human deception in order for me, for example, to make somebody attached to me and they are in a different relationship. I can't do this stuff. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merab. Remember, what's the agreement between David and, and, and Saul? 
He told him, whoever kills Goliath, I will give him my daughter to marry. That was the agreement. So Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. That's the agreement. But be careful. Saul now is going to raise the bar for David. He's going to break his agreement. Told him, only be a valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So Saul is very smart. He said, look, I put him aside. He's becoming even more popular. Very simple. I'm going to give him my, wife, my, my daughter as a wife. I'm going to tell him, here's a condition. You're going to have to fight the Philistines with your unit alone. You have to get me some kind of the, the heads of the Philistines. And Saul, he knows the language to get David. He's telling him, fight the enemy, the Lord's battle. You know, sometimes when people see us close to God, they use the right words. They use the right words. It's, uh, it's, uh, I, I remember one time I was, I was objecting the idea of using a, a certain language when we refer to God. And one person told me, you're a priest. You should be more sensitive if people in the audience get offended. So he wants me to change my principles so people in the audience don't get offended. I told him, well, God offended many people when he was on earth. Our Lord offended many people when he was on earth. So now Saul told him, look, I want you to go and start killing more Philistines for me. Okay? So Saul is trying to abuse David. But look at David. So David said to Saul, look at this verse. I, want you to, I wish we could memorize this verse. So David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be a son-in-law to the king? Wow. So Saul promised David, when you kill Goliath, I'm going to give you my daughter as a wife. Now Saul breaks his promise with David. He mistreats David. He tries to kill him twice. And Saul tells him, now you have to go kill more Philistines to get my daughter. And David tells him, who am I to be the husband of the king's daughter? You see, when somebody is humble and pure, they're happy. They see life from a different perspective. They see the circumstances around them with great thanksgiving. One is full of anger and one does not feel they are worthy. Wow. Not a single complaint. His act of humility. Now, by the way, it's not fake humility. This is exactly how he feels. This is how exactly how he feels. And I remember recently I was reading a beautiful quote by one of the, the saints and they say, they're saying that every saint their heart is moved by gratitude to God. Every motive in their prayer is moved by gratitude to God. The more we go to God with always complaining, unhappy, the more we do not understand the amount of grace we have. Stop for a second and see what makes you earn or deserve where you at in life? What have you or me done to deserve what we have? I have not picked where I was born. I have not picked my parents. I have not picked my health. I have not picked my intellect. I have not picked my mentors. I have not picked my church. What have I picked? What decisions have I made? And he's saying, I am not worthy. Yes. But it happened at a time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adril, uh, the Meholathite, as a wife. So Saul break his uh, covenant with, uh, uh, promise with David again. 
So David defeats the Philistines, brings them back, and, and Saul tells him, no, no, sorry, I have to give her to another man. David should have understood that the king doesn't like him. I mean, he tried to kill him twice. He tried to kick him out. He tried to break his promises. He does not see any problem. He does not say, I'm a king. I'm anointed by Samuel. He does not say, this is my chance to marry his daughter and, and take over the kingdom. Not at all. Remember when God said, David's heart is after my own heart? Wow. This is the heart of God. Now, Micah's Saul's daughter loved David. So Saul had another daughter. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. God had another plan. First daughter didn't work out. His younger daughter was obsessed with David. David obviously was good looking. He's a warrior. He goes in and goes out. People talk about him. So she started liking him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Means what? That she might be, he might be kept under my, my hands. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, he shall be my son-in-law. So Saul offers no apology to David. He's so entitled. Okay, I'm going to allow you to be my, my son-in-law. So what's, what's, what's the deal here? Well, another deal. And Saul commanded his servants. Look what Saul told his servants. It seems like when Saul told David, be my, my son-in-law, David still feels unworthy. Second wife, second daughter. So Saul commanded his servants and told them, communicate, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Because David felt he's unworthy. When the king called him the second time, he's like, I don't deserve it. So the king had to push his servants to go to David so they can try to tell him, go, take her. You see, the virtue of humility almost made the king look vulnerable in front of his own servants. He tells his servants, go convince David to marry my daughter. You see, flipped. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I'm a poor and lightly esteemed man? Wow. The servants came to David, David, you should marry the king's daughter. He says, you think it's easy to marry the king's daughter? I'm poor, I have no money. And I'm very lightly esteemed man. I am not known. You see, David, remember when Goliath was fighting the Philistines, he was courageous because the war was against God. But in reality, he's very humble. I, I don't have money. He's not trying to make money. He's not trying to look popular. Real humble people do not know that they are humble. People who truly give, they do not know they give. If I think I give, or I think I'm humble, or I think I'm this, I'm not. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this, in this manner David spoke. So they went back to Saul and told him, this is what David said. He said, he's not worthy. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred for a skin of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemy. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Obviously, Saul himself does not want to go beg David to marry his daughter. It sounds like really weird. So he's been sending all these messages in direct way through his servants. So he's telling him, tell David, the king doesn't want any, any money. He wants you to kill a thousand, uh, sorry, a hundred foreskin. Foreskin means uncircumcised. Philistines. Obviously, to go with his small group of army, David, small group unit, to go kill a hundred Philistines and come, this is not easy. To kill a hundred Philistines, it means he might have to fight 10,000. Saul did this, so David may die. 
in a war. So David may die in a war. No matter how much evil plots against the children of God, we must trust that the will of God will prevail until the end. Evil cannot prevail over the children of God. If I trust that God has a plan for me, and he is molding me and changing me, I will not be so extreme in my reactions. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Well, when they told him this, David said, oh, this is great. They want me to kill a hundred Philistines for the, to be the king's daughter. This is the least I could do. David, like a child, happy. Anything to tell him is happy. Therefore, David arose and went, and he and his men killed 200 men of Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, not a hundred, he asked for a hundred, Allah give like 200, I'll bring 200 for you. Their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him uh, Michael, his daughter, as Michael, his daughter, as his wife. He gave him Michal, his daughter, as his wife. David obviously sees this as a win-win situation. I kill the enemies of God, and I become this, the king's son-in-law. Sometimes we don't have that mentality. Like, for example, people might go to a monastery or a church bookstore and say, uh, the prices are expensive. I could get it from Amazon. This money is going to the church. It's a win-win situation. We're going to calculate things in the world as we're going to calculate it for, for, for the church. Sometimes our eyes, our understanding becomes very materialistic. Very materialistic. Somebody will be like, oh, the church has food here. I like food outside. It's okay. Control yourself and eat food here. Things are simple but the ones whose heart full of joy are pleased with very little and why David is so joyful why he's so pure because he knows that God loves him from his heart he knows that God watches over him he knows that God has a plan for him that's why he's moving in life no problem The devil fights him so much and he doesn't even realize there's a war. Doesn't even realize it. He only sees heaven. Unbelievable. Then Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. Once again, Saul's strategy backed fire. Instead of killing David, now Saul's son loves David. Saul's daughters love David. Now he's becoming more popular. Now people see him as more wiser. And now he, Saul realizes every day that David is dependent on God. David is a child of God. We do not want to live a life of jealousy or envy. That's why I love in our spiritual life in the church that always the church makes us do things together. We pray the Agbe, we take communion together, we fast together, we celebrate together. All the sacraments, obviously, except confession, are together. So nobody can feel that I want to stand out. And sometimes we forget, truly forget, that God loves all of, his, all of his children the same. You know, imagine, kid, if you have two, two or three children, one of them is reckless. He does cra makes crazy decisions. And one who's more responsible. Which one do you love more? You love both the same. But the one who's responsible, 
you could depend on him, you could give him more responsibility, you could give him more grace. But that doesn't mean you love the other kid less. Sometimes we think that God has favorites. He loves the saints, but does not love us as much. No, not true. Soul for God. Soul wants to be the only one. Soul does not want people to go to God, but go to Him. He wants to be the new God. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Every day God gives David more grace. More grace. Why? Because David acts with great humility. Great simplicity. And we'll see later on that David will stray away from that spirit. When he strays away from that spirit, he loses a lot. But those who enjoy the grace of God are the ones who don't realize what they have. That God gives them, God makes David's name great among all the people. He tells him, I'm a man lightly esteemed. He doesn't see himself as the top, the general, the hero. No. But he sees himself as a child of God. He sees himself as a man that who can trust in God. And that God helped him to defeat the lion and the bear. That's the humble person. He's not afraid. He's courageous. Yet, he sees that what he has is from God, not from himself. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.